0: And seven years later, I was uh, moved back to Illinois, and some friends had said, hey, why don't you come to our church? There's a great college and career. And I was at that age of college and career back in 1979. Uh, so I, I went to Rockford, Illinois, and uh, met the uh, young man that had recently come out of YWAM and was a passionate zealot for the things of God. And uh, I remember the two of us went out together for a lunch, and and we had a good hour, hour and a half conversation. And at the end of the time, I remember he looked across the table, and he says, do you really think that you are a disciple, a real disciple? Well, I thought, disciple is synonymous with believer. Of course I am. Sure, I've been saved for seven years. Yes, for sure I'm a disciple. And I'll never forget He just went, I didn't like that smile. (laughs) It was, there was a lot, there was a message into that smile. Oh, you think you're a disciple. Hallelujah. Well, he ended up inviting me if I'd be a part of a small group of men that would sit at the feet of Jesus to learn of him on a weekly basis. And it was at 530 in the morning. Hallelujah. (laughs) I was pushing for some evening, but with men, you have to go early. But during those two years, I learned accountability, transparency, vulnerability. And in a very supernatural way, the Lord gave me a brother that I never had in the natural. I had one sister. And he not only became a brother, he became uh, one who sticks even closer than a brother. And that's been 41 years, and it has been an absolutely amazing journey. And I'm thrilled that this week, uh, his wife just loves uh, Magnolia and everything about Magnolia. Except the the prices. Yeah, we went there yesterday, and we went, oh, my word, $2,200 for a chair. (laughs) Welcome to Waco. Anyway, it was a blessing to have them here and... I just had to have my best friend come and share with us this morning so we could hear uh, a portion of the treasure that is within this couple that's going to be expressed through my bro. Dale Crawl, come, bro. Reuben
1: was a, a little bit carnal the first time we met (laughs) he had kind of a leather jacket on and that was in the day where they had your shirts unbuttoned down to your belly button and all his hair was showing and he had a bunch of he had a big necklace on like a cross and it was a lot of blitz glitz and uh (laughs) he was we all in the college and crew were like who is this guy (laughs) and um I'd never met him before, okay? So he takes me out to lunch after the first time we meet. It was a nice, nice buffet in town. And, and we're sitting in his car. Oh, he had a big car. I mean, it was quite a car. <laughs> quite a car. <laughs> and he leaned into me. I don't know the guy, right? He leans into me in his hairy chest and everything. And he goes, we're going to have a David-Jonathan relationship. And I'm going. I've never met him before, you know. <laughs> so I was like, "I go, I gotta pray about it." <laughs> but he was right, <laughs> and he is my best friend, and we are in a David Johnson relationship all of these decades, and it's been awesome. And though we really only spent two full years together, then he went to Israel for thirty some, and uh, it's it's never st- met a, never miss the beat thank you for letting us be here this is my lovely wife jen her maiden name was bonjour her parents are swiss and um, her dad side and uh, she gave it up for crawl part of the call of discipleship (laughs) big trophies for her and we have a daughter named michelle just got married a month ago in rockford which was a miracle because we had a full-blown, 210-person wedding and full reception. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. Did a lot of prayer and fasting. God let everything come together. Reuben flew up, really touched my heart. It was just an anointed day. She married an incredible young man. Um, We're just, just beyond words. We couldn't have picked a better young man for our daughter. And uh, their first kiss was on their wedding day, which they decided they wanted to just toe the line they don't take any chances and he's got the call of God in his life he's already been a youth pastor and and uh, they're living in Tulsa and God is just favoring them in every way and we're just so happy so we're on a trip from Rockford to uh, Carbondale where I spent 27 years and then Kansas City and uh, Jan had an art show there and then we went to Tulsa to be with them where they live and then here and so we're real excited. We'll probably be leaving on Tuesday. I have a word I want to get into, and it's a word about the word. And uh, it was interesting we sang the days of Elijah because it talked about the word of the Lord. And so would you turn to Lamentations 2.17, and also we're going to look at Luke 24.44. And um, <clears throat> I'm calling this the sandwich message, the sandwich message. Um and, and uh, it's got three parts, two parts bread, one part center, <laughs> and uh, we're going to put those together. Let's pray, and uh, would you ask God to speak to your heart through his word this morning? Lord God, I cannot thank you enough for Reuben and Yanit and what they mean to me and to us, and I'm sure to this class, and I thank you for this class we've heard so much about, and I th- pray you bless all those with us and all those who are not yet able to be and be with the families of those that will be uh, celebrating the homegoing of their loved ones this week. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for your living, abiding word. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us through your word today and uh, increase, as your word always does, our faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Faith comes by hearing; hearing by the word of God, Amen. So uh, let's look at Lamentations, uh, uh, chapter two, and verse seventeen. I don't. I won't take the time to go into the history of Lamentations. It was written by Jeremiah, and it was written about five eighty six B.C. And it has to do with judgments, God's judgments on especially the city of Jerusalem. Uh, There was trouble with the Chaldeans, And um, it's a whole area that the world doesn't hear anything more about, the judgments of God. And the judgments of God are going to be fulfilled in the book of Revelation. But prior to that, God's doing something that's going to be, well, I hope really encouraging for you to hear today. And uh, that's the essence of the middle of the sandwich, the, in, the content inside. In Lamentations 2.17, I was having a quiet time uh, in August, about the 2nd of August. It was a Sunday morning. And I don't know how, when you, how you read the Bible, and I trust you all read it daily because that's just how you meet with God, amen, and he meets with us. And um, this verse just came alive. I just... Read the Bible many, many, many times through. And isn't it amazing how God puts new verses in the Bible? Like, wow, it's just amazing. And this was a new verse, just got into the Bible August 2nd, uh, last month. <laughs> and it says, uh, the Lord has done what he purposed. I'm reading now the New American Standard. So uh, if that's really different from your translation, I apologize. But I, I love this translation. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has accomplished his word. God is about fulfilling His word. Everything God has ever done, He spoke and He fulfilled it. The, the, the scholars will tell us that one third of the Bible is prophecy. One out of every 20 verses of the New Testament is about the second coming. It's not a little bit, it's a lot in the Bible. We know in the Old Testament there was over 330 prophecies about his first coming, all of them at least 400 years before the New Testament started. With the Amalekite ended, there was 400 year intertestamental period where there was no word from God from heaven. It's an interesting thing in that study of that. we know they go all the way back to Genesis, but 330 prophecies and a a man named Peter Stoner wrote a book. I actually found it online. I actually have a copy of it. Um, He was born in 1888 but he did this incredible mathematical study of prophecy and figuring out the probabilities. And of those 330 prophecies about his first coming, all of them between 4,000 and 400 years before Christ came, the probability of just eight of them, and I could actually give you the eight he used. For the sake of time, we won't, but he, he figured out the probability was 10 to the 17th exponent. 10 to the 17th exponent. That's 10 with 17 zeros. He said to illustrate, and this is what he chose, and so it's really relevant we're here today in Waco, Texas. He said to illustrate the size of that number, the probability of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies over that many period of years is the probability that if you buried all of Texas, that's what he chose, two feet deep in silver dollars, the whole state, mark one of them with an X, put it anywhere in the state, anywhere in the pile, send in a blind man, have him roam around as long as he wants, and at some point, randomly have him pick up a silver dollar. That's the probability of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled over that period of time. So then he ran 40 more in, and he figured out the probability of 48 of those prophecies, mind you, there were 330, was 10 to the 157th exponent. Or power we don't have a name for a number that big he said the probability of that happening is the probability is if a human eye could see an electron and then you'd have to count 10 million times 10 million times 10 million and and and, and then find try to pick out one it's absolutely impossible Jesus Christ didn't fulfill 848 he fulfilled all 330 In fact, 30-some on the cross in that last few hours. This book is not man-made. He used men. It is factual. It is provable. That's the study of apologetics, and what a great study that is. So God has purposed that everything he would do, he would speak, and he would fulfill it. I love to meditate because I was a science major. I was going to be a veterinarian. I went to the University of Illinois. God called me my senior year. Very supernatural way. I got drafted to Vietnam War. And uh, that was when I got saved because I knew I was going to die, and I thought I would be going to the wrong place. And I would have gone to the wrong place, so I had my wake-up. Amen. uh, But God used his word to transform my life. And I love the word of God. And that's why Reuben and I have our deepest connection is this book. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Jesus said in John 5.39, You search the scriptures for eternal life, and it's these that point to me, that bear witness of me. When he said that, John 5.39, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's just talking about the Old Testament. So it says here, the Lord has done what he purposed, he has accomplished or fulfilled his word. Now let's go to uh, Luke chapter 24, and we're just going to expository teach a little bit about this last few verses of Luke, Luke's great commission, the end of Luke, and these last uh, accounts of Luke's account of Jesus' last words. In verse 44, it says, Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you, While I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Well, that's just about the whole Old Testament. He said, what? They speak of me, Jesus Christ. One of the most exciting things in the Bible is to see Jesus on every chapter and every page. Where is he being revealed? And, and, uh. And this is, you know, just before this was the two guys on the way to Emmaus. And they didn't recognize him after the resurrection. I have a theory about that, but I won't go into theories. But uh, they didn't recognize him. But it says he expounded on the scriptures and it said their hearts burned within them. I think one of the most exciting burning fires of God you could ever have in your life is when he opens up scripture to you and speaks to you and starts applying it to your life and then does even the greater purpose He transforms you into his image. Praise the Lord. And so it says here that uh, the Psalms must be fulfilled. Look at those last three words. Everything written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand the Bible and interpret it correctly with our own intellect. God says, through the wisdom of man, you will not find me. You can't find him through the wisdom of men. And that's where it really is the crux between everything in the world and their view of God and their view of the Bible that's not correct and those that really know him. is We've had the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see Jesus and to see him in his word. I mean, I've been a college pastor for 45 years. That's all I've worked with is secular university students. And we saw a lot of professors saved while we were in Southern Illinois University for all those 26 and a half years, a lot of professors. And, um, you know, their view of the Bible is not so hot, (laughs) if you can imagine. But, boy, is it exciting when the word becomes alive to Ph.D. professors and and they start living it in the secular classroom in their departments. And we've seen professors start leading other professors to the Lord. Because the truth bears witness of itself. And all humans have the same problem. It's called sin. And they have the same solution. He's called Jesus. Praise the Lord. Verse 45, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Praise God for the precious gift of the Holy Spirit who does this. First Corinthians 2.16, now we have the mind of Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we have the word of God. In verse 46, and he said to them, this is... Thus it it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. There's the gospel. And the gospel is Christ. It's not a religion. Everything about Christianity is the person of God in Jesus Christ. That's it. And uh, his death, burial, resurrection, and eyewitness account, which is the gospel. Those four points are the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection, and eyewitness account. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 9, where it actually states those four points. And that's what the gospel is. That's what God says is the power of God to save anybody and take them to heaven. I read a devotional book every morning for the last seven years. I found out from a man, a pastor, who recommended it to me, and I ordered it. It's by William Gurnell from England. It was written in 1665, 500 years ago. I read it every morning. It's like, it's like Oswald Chambers, my utmost first highest. It's just that one day, and it's as anointed as Oswald Chambers. And, um, and so he, and, and so about a couple week or so ago, there was a statement he made, and he said, the only thing between a human soul and hell is Jesus Christ. The only thing between every human soul and hell Is Jesus Christ. Praise God. Amen. It says here that he rose on the third day, verse 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. That is the Holy Spirit he's referring to. That's found in John 7, 37, 39. And you are... Upon you, but you are to stay in <clears throat> the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So let me just give you some things here, real quick. First of all, his purpose is to accomplish or fulfill his word. Seven things that start with a P. He purposed. God ordained before any of us were created his purpose. His purpose is to know him and make him known. His purpose is to call a people out who will seek him or worship him. John Ford talks about these the Father has chosen, those that will worship him. And then we know worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for worshipers. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Throughout the whole earth, looking for the heart that's upright toward him, that he might prove himself strong on their behalf. Every day, the eyes of the Lord are looking. There was a time in my life where I used to curse God. And there was a time in my life where I got desperate when I got drafted to Vietnam, and I knew, 19 years old, I will be dead within a year. I'm the most unlucky person I'd ever met up to that time. Nobody in my life was as unlucky as I was. In fact, when I got drafted, I won the lottery. They had a lottery that year to Vietnam. They put all the dates in a pot, and they pulled out 365 numbers for each day of the year. And if your number was under 130, you were guaranteed to go. If it was over 130, you didn't need to worry about it. Both sides of my birthday were in the 200s, and my birthday came up 37. And I sat there that night and go, I'll be dead within a year. The only lottery you don't want to win, I won that lottery. But God was faithful. Because by the time that happened, and my number was picked, and the draft notice came to where to go report, I found Jesus Christ. And I found, he found me, amen. He was after me before I was after him. And... So he purposed. He purposed for people who would worship him and seek him. He purposed that we would become conformed to the image of his son. One of the greatest, I think the greatest promise in the Bible next to salvation, not, nothing comes close to that one, is Romans 8.28. We know he causes all things to work together for our good, for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, that is like, I mean, to me, that's like the most awesome promise. Uh, by the way, even though I'm a assembly of God, during the whole quarantine thing, we watch Waco's worship service every Sunday. Our whole family and our closest friend. Highland. What did I say? Highland Baptist. Best worship of any church I've been online. I've been on a lot. Big, mega, mega, mega ones and little ones. And uh John's messages and he just went through John 8. Followed him through John. I mean it's Romans 8. Romans 8, not John 8. I've got to slow my brain down. I'm going too fast. Romans 8. Romans 8:28 8, we just quoted, but the key to Romans 8:28 people don't realize is verse 29. And you go to gospel bookstores and they all have plaques you can put on the walls of your house of Romans 8:28, but they never include 29. But 29 is what activates 28. It says in verse 29, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined, they would become conformed to the image of his son. Do you know that in every situation we have in our life, if we will pray, God, through this test, through this trial, through this issue, through this problem, this relationship, uh, the health problem, the, the, the relationship problem, whatever it is, God, through this, make me love you more and make me more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. You just activated him, causing, supernaturally, intervening, providence, everything to work together for good. And you know, when God takes your worst of your worst and works together for good, you'll look back and go, I think he must have ordained that. Now, I don't believe he ordains sin and really bad things. I don't believe he does. But he's that kind of God that can do that because his sovereignty rules over all. Amen. What an exciting thing to live in that purpose of God. And the third thing about the purpose of God is that we be witnesses or reflect Him His light in a dark world. And uh, we got something we want to wrap up with that on. Okay, so here are six things about purpose. Uh, besides uh, P, the first one purpose, here's six more. Number two is promises. Second Peter 1, three and four. By these His precious and magnificent promises, we become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. By these, his precious and magnificent promises, God not only wants to fulfill his purpose, and his purpose is, he wants to fulfill his promises. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 says, as many as are the promises of God, they're all yes and amen. And then it tells you for the motive, for the glory of God through us. God, be glorified. Make me more like Jesus. You activate his promises. Amen. And they're all yes and amen to make us more like Jesus. And uh, praise God for his promises. And, and then we have his prophecies. In Revelations 19, and I, I want to I uh, look at read these to you. In Revelations 19, so interesting, when Jesus comes back, It has some amazing things to say about his word. In verse 10, it says, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You know, in a court of law, a testimony is only what you've seen and heard firsthand. If you say, well, Ann told me she saw so-and-so, the, lawyer, the defending lawyer will re- object and say, hearsay evidence, and the judge will say sustained, and I'll, I'll honor that because we don't accept hearsay evidence. It's got to be firsthand. And so isn't it interesting? Jesus has a testimony. Testimony is something that's factual. Jesus's testimony is the spirit of prophecy. It was predicted, and it happened. It was predicted, and it happened. And it was predicted, And it happened. And there's a place where mathematics will tell you this is not a coincidence. This is facts. 330 prophecies about his first coming, every one of them fulfilled. Every single one was fulfilled. By the way, there's over 300 prophecies about his second coming. And we're seeing all of them dovetail in this generation. Especially the key four have to do with Israel and Jerusalem. Israel's always been the hour hand. Jerusalem's always been the second hand. Of God's in time clock, and oh my goodness, are we ever in exciting days! Praise His name. So we have purposes, we have promises. He wants to fulfill His prophecies. He's going to fulfill all these things. We have His priorities. Is it interesting? In First Thessalonians two thirteen, and First Thessalonians two thirteen is an amazing verse that talks about God's word, and I really love this one because this is another one of those scriptures that tell us how God activates. His word listen to this first thessalonians 2 13 for this reason we also constantly thank god when you received from us the word of god's message you accepted it not as the word of men but for what it really is the word of god when paul says we came to you thessalonica we, we, you didn't take what we said as just being our human words, talking theological. You took what we said as God's very words coming through us. And look what it says next. It says, you accepted not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in those who believe. Our faith in God's word activates it, releases it. Isn't that interesting? Because Romans... 1017 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word is what gives us faith, and then our faith in the word activates it to be fulfilled and makes us and transforms us and conquers sin and conquers habits. One of the things I had the joy of doing with college students for four and a half decades is not just seeing them get saved, and we love to see people get saved. But seeing their lives transformed and seeing victory come into their lives and teaching them the principles of God's word, as God has taught Jan and I, like uh, how to love their parents. I had a I hated my dad. I renounced him. I, I literally disowned my father when I was 16 years old. And the devil ate my lunch for the next three years. It almost ended in suicide in Alpine Park in Rockford, Illinois, in summer of 1973, the year I lost my fiancé, months before. But God rescued me and he transformed me then he showed me how to view your parents biblically and he changed me way before he changed my dad i thought my dad was the cruelest man that ever lived but i want you to know god changed me healed me healed me on the inside healed my memories every kind of healing you can imagine reconciled he was still the same man for a number of years but i i was like had a teflon anointing his words couldn't get to me anymore and make me so bitter angry and hateful i was healed my dad got saved in his late 60s. He lived the last 19 years of his life as a totally transformed man. I just wanted him to go to heaven. I had never believed he'd like he did, like the fruit of the Spirit in his life. He died one month before his 86th birthday in January of 16, just a few years ago. And I did my dad's own funeral, and it was a joy. God is a God of the impossible. I said to God one time when I was in Wyoming, walking in the woods. I said, God, because I would prayed for him for 26 years. Every single day. And I said, God, if you can save him, I will never say there's somebody you can't save because he has got to be the most difficult man that you could ever save. 19 years, his last 19 years of his life. And his third wife, my dad had three marriages. His third wife got saved too. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Just hang on to those promises and let God change you. God, make me love you more through my dad. Make me more like Jesus through my dad's, Behavior and attitudes and conduct and words. He did it. Isn't that exciting? So he fulfills his purposes. He fulfills his promises. He fulfills his prophecies. He fulfills his priorities. And um, his, 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 his main priority is, in order to know him, is to abide in him. John 15. So I actually have with me, I, I was going to bring it up here. I should have brought it up here. But um, three years ago in a month, I was here and visited some of you and visited Reuben Unite. And it was a life-changing experience for me that I desperately needed. Um, it was just uh, beyond words. I'd gone through the three worst years of my life. It ended. It just went from bad to worse to worse to awful. And um, and God did it. And when I left Rockford to come down to be with Reuben Unite for eight days of intense ministry to, to my life, surgery, uh, I said, God, should I bring any book with me besides the Bible? And he prompted this thought to me, and I, I, I just was, like, blown away because I read this book as a baby Christian 40-some years before. I'd recommended it all my life, but I hadn't read it again. And I brought it with me, and I started August that uh, three years ago here in Waco on August 1st. And uh, I actually had to backtrack because it was actually the end of the month when I was here, I caught up. But I've read Abide in Christ – by Andrew Murray, every day, the whole book through for 36 months in a row. Because it has just changed my life. And all it is, is the expounding of John 15. Abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Your prayer life is going to explode if you abide in Jesus. And, and there's so many insights. John 15, 9. Get this one. this one. This one made me weep the first two years. I read it every day, every time I got to that chapter. It's, it's actually chapter 22 in the book. It says, just as the Father has loved me, Jesus is speaking, just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Pause, sailor, halt, think about it. How much do you think Heavenly Father loves Jesus the Son? infinitely and eternally. Just as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The Father loves you equal, just as much, the same way. He loves Jesus. Well, Jesus is perfect. He never sinned. He took the sin of the world. I love you. Just as much as I love Jesus. Abide in that love. You know, if you abide in that, just meditate on that, fear just leaves you because love casts out fear. That's what this generation needs. And I know Anit was reading that that thing, and she misspoke, but I just want to say, when she said the Africans are praying for America because how Africa goes will go the world, I know she meant how America will go, will go the world. And I want to confirm that because we pastored internationals. Our main ministry of college students was internationals at Southern Illinois University. we in 90 nations we affected. I have a guy from London. I call and We call every morning since Easter. Or no, March 10th before Easter. And we pray together. But I can tell you, and another girl in Singapore, the whole world is watching the news about America's election. Oh, you have no idea what she said. It is way more pervasive. Let me tell you, the world is watching daily our news because it's on the internet, and it's. But unfortunately, a lot of them get just CNN. Uh, they they need some balance, <laughs> but the, praise God, the saints are praying worldwide. And uh, oh, wait till I, I got to get to the end of this. So let me wrap this up, and then we have the power of God. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to give us power. It says He upholds Hebrews one three. He upholds all things by the power of His Word the power of his word. This powers you. Amen? Let me give you my favorite verse, and i, I got to wrap this up. <clears throat> my favorite verse, I have a top 100, top 10. Top three have never moved. They've always been the same. Top one, number, no, nothing's ever kicked number one out of number one in 45 years. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. This is Jesus speaking. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Doesn't help your sin nature. Doesn't help your physical body. Although it does help your physical body, but but it's the spirit who gives life. And the spirit helps your body. It's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you, our spirit and our life. Wow. That's my favorite verse. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and our life. Well, the, the meat of the sandwich is end-time prophecy, or the fulfillment of God's word. First coming, second coming. Very quickly, four major prophecies of all the 300 of the second coming. Three have been fulfilled, finished. One is in process, as I talk. Of the top four prophecies of all the end-time prophecies, where Jesus said, this generation will not pass away before all these things happen, even my return. One was Israel became a nation, May 14th, 1948. Hadn't happened in 2,000 years. Fig tree blossomed. Jesus said, When you see the fig tree blossom, you know, my coming's near right at the door. May 14th, 1948. Second one is Jerusalem will be taken back by the Gentiles. Gentiles have controlled Jerusalem since King Nebuchadnezzar in 589 BC. When Jesus was on the earth, Jerusalem was controlled by the Roman Empire, Gentile nation. But in June 6, 1967, they took back the whole city. And they said, we'll never give it up again. And th- just a couple verses after that says, this generation who sees this will not pass away till all these things happen, even my return. The third one is the return of the Jew. The Bible talks about him coming back in Ezekiel, coming back, the dead bones come alive, right? The, 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 you know, the whole bone thing, black spiritual song. <laughs> anyway, so the, and, and, and the, in 1990 to 91, Actually, in the last four months of 1989, August, let's pretend it's August 1989, and I would tell you all of communist Europe, all the communist countries over there, will all change ideology, government form, and leadership. Dictators will all be removed. It'll happen in less than four months with hardly any bloodshed. You witnessed the most ch- huge, the greatest change in national leadership of nations. In four months, that's ever happened in history, Glasnost, Perestroika, and all that, and communism died, and democracy came in. But more than that, God pulled open the iron curtain, and the gospel flooded in. Do you know, within the first ten years, they said at least a third of Russians accepted Christ. Hallelujah. A visit to, we were in Russia in the early 90s. Amen. Every city we we heard about, and the ones we went into Sochi, where the Olympics were. And we got into every school we asked, and they stopped the school. We had assemblies, and in every place we went, it was 50 to 90% of the people accepted Christ, including the schoolmasters and the principals. It was the most incredible thing you've ever seen. And the Jews have returned. You know, there's only 14.8 million Jews on the earth. I think there might be 15.2 now, but for years it was just 14.8 million Jews on the whole planet. That's really a small amount. Half of that was in New York and America. You know that the Jews have returned through after World War I, the Belford Declaration in 1917, and then World War II, they went up to 600,000. Then from then till now, over 7 to 8 million. Not sure how many Muslims are in that. 8 million in Israel now. That's a lot have come back. The fourth one is the building of the temple. Do you know that all the furniture is finished? All the furniture is finished. We were in Israel in the 1980s, and there was no museum to the furniture. There's a museum in Israel with all the furniture ready for the next temple. It's all ready. The stones are cut, they're hidden somewhere in Israel. They said, uh, We had a friend that was with a group of Jewish leaders after the Persian Gulf War, and they said, Somebody asked the question of uh, these top Israeli leaders, uh, Are you going to build a temple? The rabbi said yes. They said, It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. They, they got to wait for God to tell them. They said, How long will it take? They said, we'll use modern equipment. We'll put it up in three months. Gang, Jesus is coming. (laughs) But before he comes, and I end with this, and I want to read this. This is Isaiah 60. And uh, and I want to encourage you because, you know, I have thought for years the way America was going, we could have a civil war. Seriously. But a few weeks ago, the Lord really spoke to my heart. And I really believe we're going to have a great awakening. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter and brighter to the full day. As long as the church is still on the planet and prayer is going on, Satan can't do all he wants to do. He can't do all he wants to do. Jesus said in Matthew 13.39, host parables chapter, the harvest is at the end of the age. The biggest harvest in history is yet to come. Yeah. Bigger than the first century, right? The day of Pentecost. And, uh, and then listen to this. I'll, I'll wrap up with this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But, The Lord will rise upon you and his glory will appear upon you and nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of its rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you, your sons from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms and then you will see and be radiant. The world's in darkness. They're fearful. But the church is going to get brighter and brighter to the full day. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is just going to keep increasing on us. One day in my dad's house, when we used to live together in this house, but we had a, a, a yard light that came on automatically. But one, someday missed the switch or something, and it stayed on all day. We never even noticed because the sun was so bright. But as it got darker, that light was that bright yard light. You know, the darker it gets, the brighter the church gets. The darker it gets, the brighter the church gets automatically. And it's happening right now. Sean Foltz is doing these long-haired hippie guy, looks like back when I went to college, is leading these worship things. And all these major hotspots, they had one last week in California. They called it a worship protest so they couldn't be closed down. (laughs) And you know what? The authorities did mess with them when they started calling it a worship protest. They couldn't touch them. The media couldn't touch them. Nobody could touch them. They called it a worship protest. 12,000 young people showed up praising God. Uh, And they're saying this is a second Jesus movement. But I believe it's going to be bigger than the first one. And it says here, Then they will see and be radiant. Your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. The wealth of the nations is the people. And so that's where we're at. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. And I want to close praying. God, make us available for the harvest. Because he said the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. Beseech. Beseech the Lord of the harvest. I believe the Holy Spirit's the Lord of the harvest. He does the convicting. He does the converting. He raises up in intercession. And he's one that intercedes through us. He's one that witnesses through us. Jesus is saying, beseech the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And I close with this verse. This is my second and final closing. The end, this is 1 Peter 4, 7. The last part of the sandwich, the last piece of bread is prayer. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He wants to fulfill your prayers. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are on the throne, that you have everything under control. It's in you we live and move and have our being. We thank you the harvest is at the end of the age. You said in the last days... You would pour out your spirit on all flesh. We thank you, Lord, not just for revival in America, but a great awakening that will sweep the globe. And so, God, we ask you to energize the president. We ask you, oh, God, to give him an anointing of King Josiah, to tear down all the idols and to call a country in repentance to God. Lord, we ask you to just pour out your spirit on the churches Thank you for this gospel-preaching church that's true to your word. We pray for the churches that hardly mention your word. Wake up the churches in America, Lord, the watered-down gospel. Grant us repentance that leads to life. God, oh God, just thank you for this group and energize them in your word. May it be more alive when they read it than ever because of your Holy Spirit in them and your Holy Spirit in the word. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.